Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you for joining me for another podcast. Let me first of all uh, just say I hope that you had a a great Thanksgiving. You were able to take a few minutes and reflect on some of the great things that have happened in your life, some of the people that have been engaged in your life that uh, have done so many things, and uh, you had that opportunity to say thanks to them and thanks to God. Um, That being said, let's jump into the lesson today. Uh, How do you get close to a leader? How do you get close to a leader? Now, um, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to get a little bit personal because one of the things that happens frequently is that I'll have some young kid come up to me and they'll say, you know so many fabulous leaders. Uh, All these leaders just recognize you and they'll spend time with you. Uh, How in the world did you get to the place that that would happen? What I'm going to do today is I want to talk to you about uh, one of the leaders in my life that uh, I have proximity to, that I'm close to, that I have access to. And the reason I chose this one, it just lays out what I believe are some of the keys to being close to a leader. See, it's not that uh, most people can't be close to a leader. It's that most people just don't know how to be close to a leader. And so I just want to walk you through some things, and none of these things that I'm talking about right now were planned out. They were all sort of the nuance and the instincts of the moment. Uh, But like I said at the beginning, I have the privilege of uh, most of the people that people watch around the world uh, and would really covet spending time with, those are my friends. And those are individuals that I respect. And uh, on some level, they would probably uh, talk about their respect for me. And so what I want to do is I just want to put out how you become close to a leader. Uh, The first thing that I would say is believe for divine appointments. Believe for divine appointments. Now, one of my life verses is Amos 3.3. I think in the King James, it renders it this way. How can two walk together except they agree? Now, that seems sort of benign there, that if people are going to get along, they've just got to agree, but that's really not what it says. In fact, uh, years ago, there was a great leader named Dick Mills. He pointed out to me, he said, this verse is going to be a verse that's really going to stand out in your life. But he said, you've got to understand in the Hebrew, it says this, how can two walk together unless there's a divine appointment? unless there's a divine appointment. And one of the things that I've always uh, believed for are divine appointments. Uh, Not appointments that people can set up, but appointments that only God can set up. And who are those appointments and how are those appointments? And that when I have one of those appointments, how do I honor that appointment and how do I react to it? So let me get a little bit personal here. I have uh, a very close friend named John Maxwell. Now, John is just one of the most fantastic leaders that uh, you could ever meet. He's always uh, a leader that will stretch you and compel you. But the reason that John and I are friends is not because I had some natural logistical idea of, hey, this is John Maxwell. Uh, I want him to be my friend. It was a divine appointment. So let me go back. Uh, John's very famous now. In fact, I, I joke that 
uh, I knew John before he had his own bookshelf at Barnes and Nobles. Uh, but I knew John when he was pastoring at Skyline, and it was uh, a great church that he and uh, several of his team members that are dear friends of mine uh, had really uh, begun to platform, and it became an example around the nation. But that being said, I didn't know John. In fact, I didn't even know about John. I didn't know anything. He hadn't written the books. He hadn't really spent a lot of time out on the uh, speaking circuit. I didn't know him. But let me tell you how it happened. Uh, Another dear friend of mine who uh, is a great leader in his own right, uh, he's in the uh, Van Nuys area. He had asked John to come to one of his conferences. Well, I, you know, always either went to the conference or I got all of, at that time, shows how far back it is, the tapes of the conference. And in this particular time, I got the tapes. Well, one of the breakout sessions involved John Maxwell, and John Maxwell was teaching on 10 keys to evangelism. Well, when I went through it, I never knew John. I never had an understanding of John, but I listened to it and I said, wow, this guy's good. In fact, he's very, very good. And I'd like to uh, just know a little bit more about him. So uh, I sent out to his church to get his list of uh, tapes that he had done. And um, as you can imagine, as only John would do, there was this uh, basically booklet that came back to me with a list of all of his sermons. And it was classy and it was just a breakdown of everything. And I thought, well, you know, a lot of people are accidentally good one time, but are they good over and over again. So I randomly picked five tapes and I sent off four. Now, again, I've heard John one time, but I believe for divine appointments. I had uh, read his pamphlet, sent out for five. There were probably thousands of tapes in there, but I chose five. When I got those five, the first one I put in my cassette player and listened to, John was describing a dream of his. And the dream was this. I want to start a leadership center. I want to start a leadership center where we could take young pastors and we could bring them in and we could train them and help them to be more effective leaders. Well, when I heard that, I thought to myself, I believe in leadership. Those of you that know me know that I grew up in a military family, and because I grew up in a military family, I've seen uh, the best leaders that uh, I believe are in the world and in our nation. And I thought, man, you know, I think this will help. And so uh, I just wrote a check. And I wrote a check, and it was for a particular amount, and I sent it out there. Hey, listen to one of your uh, tapes, and you said you wanted to start a leadership center. I'd like to help you. I never expected anything. Never expected him to call me. Never expected him to do anything. But about two weeks later, I get a call on the phone, and the call was from John Maxwell. And as I'm getting this call and answering it, I'm thinking, well, you know, he's pretty nice. He's just going to say thanks. But uh, what he did was he proceeded to tell me a story of how he happened to be in his church on a Saturday, which he never is. He picked up his mail. He got my little note, and then he saw the check. He said, what you didn't know was that the next day I was going to be raising money for us to move to our new location. I literally took your note, and I stood up, 
And I read that note to our congregation and said, I don't know this guy, but this guy believes in us. And because this guy believes in us and I don't know him, how much more should people give that do believe in us? And he said, as a result of that, I raised millions and millions of dollars. Now, would have John have raised millions of dollars without that? Yeah. But what I'm saying is, think of it. It's a divine appointment. Out of nowhere, I hear John. I then order five tapes. Of all the tapes, I hear the one where he talks about a leadership center. And there, I send a check. It happens to arrive the day before. He stands up and raises millions of dollars for the congregation at Skyline. And John said, Gerald, you're my friend. I want to meet you. Well, Jenny and I always go out to San Diego. We feel if you're going to suffer, San Diego's the place to suffer because it's absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. So we go out there, and as we go out there, um, we start meeting John and Margaret, and it developed a relationship. So what I want to say is this. I wasn't believing to meet John. I was believing for divine appointments. And I believe that everyone should believe for divine appointments. And what that means is God will connect you with people who are important to your journey and you are important to their journey. So that's number one. How to get close to a leader? Number two, believe in their vision. Now, I think this is really important. Most people want to get close to a leader because they want the leader to support the vision they have. But if you're going to be a close to a leader, you're going to support the vision that the leader has. So in my journey with John, I've always supported his vision. I happen to serve on the Equip Board, which is his nonprofit board. And um, that's all because I believed in his vision to create a leadership environment and culture. And uh, Equip has done that in some magnificent ways and continues to do so. But in ministry, you support a vision. In business, you support success. See, before John was ever a success, I was supporting his vision. Now, John's an immense success, and now business people want to come alongside him. And I'm so thankful for that because of the opportunities that creates for him to do so much. But when I got close to him, it wasn't because I was believing in his success. I believed in his vision. And what I find is, is that when you believe in a leader's vision, it pulls you towards them and it creates opportunities with them. So believe in their vision. The third thing is, is fit in their culture. Now, this is a little bit interesting. Um, you know, there's so much written about culture today, developing a culture, uh, culture, restructuring your culture, all these kind of things. But if you're going to be close to a leader, you're going to have to fit in their culture. And I don't know if you know it, but the the Greek word culture uh, comes from the word care. And basically, all culture is, is that you show someone that you care about who they are and what they're doing. So you fit into their culture. Now, here's what happened. Uh, John turned to me and he said, Gerald, I'd like to get to know you better. And there are going to be some opportunities, but let me tell you how that's going to happen. I'm going to be doing meetings and I want you to stand right beside me. In fact, at that time, John carried a briefcase, 
pretty large briefcase. And he said, I just want you to hold it. Wherever I go, you follow me. You stand next to me. You just be close to me. And he said, understand this, that if I'm in a room and there's other people there, I'm going to talk to them. But you will be surprised how much time it'll just be the two of us and we'll get to talk together. But he said, you got to fit in. And the way you're going to fit in is you're literally going to hold my briefcase. Now, today he has a littler one that just has his iPad and a, a few of his handwritten notes that he's working on or once available. But I've literally always fit into his culture. So if I go to any meeting John's in, I'm going to stand right by John. And the reason I'm going to stand right by John is that's what he told me to do years ago. And until he tells me otherwise, I'm going to stand right by John. And when he's having a conversation, I'm going to smile and I'm not going to interrupt. But what I am going to do is that I'm going to be right next to John and being right next to him. When he moves, I move. And he goes in a room, I go in the room. And then there's this connection that happens. And so today, after doing it for so many years, I know his nuances. I know what he likes. I know what he dislikes. I know when he's on his game and I know when he's frustrated with his game. I know when his team is working well and when he has a question about his team and his team with Mark Cole and Linda Eggers is just so remarkable that his team's just pretty well always working well. But I stay close to him. Why? Because John was giving me a key. I fit in his culture. Now, If you do those three things, if you believe for divine appointments with who you need to know, and I don't know who you need to know, like I said, John was not the famous John Maxwell that he was when I first met him, Um, but I saw something that I liked, a vision that I could believe in and I wanted to support, and then I just started fitting in his culture. I knew what he liked to do and when he liked to do it, and I just fit and I stayed close to him. That being said, if you do those three things, number four, it'll get you in rooms you should never be in. Let me just describe a few of the rooms. I went with John Maxwell to the UN when he spoke at the UN prayer breakfast on their opening day. See, at the UN, they will have a prayer breakfast on their opening convening day where they'll bring in some person of faith and let them talk. Well, I was with John on that. I was at his side during that. Now, can I tell you something? I would have never been in the UN building if it hadn't have been for the fact that I had done the first three things. I can remember um, when he was flying through this area and he said, Gerald, um, I want to spend a few moments with a a friend of mine, Fred Smith. Now, this Fred Smith was a remarkable business leader. He was a remarkable Christian business leader. And John said, would you drive me to his house because he lived in the Dallas area? And I said, for sure. But John said his health is failing and I just want to go in and thank him for my uh, journey. And that's one of the things that I've learned is that if you're a leader, be thankful for those who've helped you. And I've never seen John Maxwell be anything other than thankful. So I told him, hey, I'll drive. I'll stay outside. So I'm literally outside in the car. And all of a sudden, John comes out. He says, come on in. 
Well, here I am. I'm with John Maxwell, and I'm with Fred Smith, one of the most remarkable leaders in business and Christian business circles at the time that had ever been around. And I listened to John as he talks to him. I was with John when he talked to Zig Ziglar the last time. It was a remarkable moment. Again, I took him to a restaurant I wasn't going in. I was going to let John and Zig and Zig's wonderful wife have these moments. But John comes out and he says, no, Zig and his wife want you to come. And I just watched. Three rooms I didn't believe in. It's, I didn't belong in. I didn't have the right to be there. The UN, Fred Smith, Zig Ziglar. There's a fourth room, and this was a room I didn't get in, but John was flying from the West Coast over to see Bill Bright right before Bill uh, passed away. John literally handed me uh, a letter, and he said, this is what I'm going to say to Bill Bright. It's handwritten by John, and I have that letter today. It's the letter that he wrote to say goodbye to Bill Bright for all the things that he had done. Now, I say all that to you, that if you'll believe for divine appointments, if you'll believe in the vision that someone has, and if you'll fit into their culture, and you'll find yourself getting in rooms and having learning opportunities you could never imagine. But let me tell you the fifth thing. If you're going to be close to a leader, then the relationships have to be portable. Let me say it slowly. The relationships have to be portable. What does that mean? It means that John's a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. Now, am I as busy as John? Probably not, but I think I'm pretty busy. But that being said, that relationship has to be portable. So let me describe a portable relationship. What it means is that when you show up, it's not like, oh, why haven't you called me? Well, we haven't talked in months. And it's some kind of guilt or or wait. A portable relationship means you pick up right where you left off. You're not sitting there saying, hey, you didn't call me. You didn't write me. You didn't text me. You didn't email me. You didn't do anything. You're just saying, hey, it's so great to be with you. And you just pick up. Portable relationships They can have months of time between them. But when you're together, you just pick it up. And I find that most people who want a relationship want a needy relationship. And a needy relationship is the kind where you're always, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I'm just telling you, you're not going to have that with a leader. Especially if they're a high-capacity, profound leader. But I'll tell you another thing about relationships being portable. I not only learned who John was, but I learned who Margaret was, and I learned who his kids were. And now I know who his grandkids are. And I've always tried to care for his family. Because if you want to get a leader's attention, don't care just when they're on the stage, but care for their family when they're off the stage. So... When I knew something was going on, I didn't always know it. I would write, I would call, I would text. And what that does is it creates a relationship that endures. It's portable. Number six, learn their secrets. Every leader has secrets. Now, I'm not talking about 
secrets that are just negative of some kind, but I'm just saying things that make them tick. Now, I wanted to learn John's secrets. So, as I like to say, if you don't have a brain, borrow one. So, I decided to borrow his brain. I wanted to see what makes him tick. So, I called Linda Eggers, his assistant, and I said, Linda, I want to spend $5,000 to buy every written sermon that John's ever had from his very first church to his very last church. In fact, I'm sitting about 15 feet from a room that I have every one of those. Now, someone says, was that so you could teach his lessons? Not at all. In fact, most everything he wrote, I couldn't teach, or maybe I don't feel God wants me to teach it or teach it that way. My point wasn't to get the information. It was to learn his secret. Now, let me tell you what I've learned. What I've learned is John is a great leader because he reinvents himself. He reinvents himself. Now, I say that to you because that's important. See, in leadership, we talk about, well, you got to keep learning. Well, you got to keep growing. You got to understand uh, learning and growing is more about information. But John has always been a person of transformation. And I can literally take his first church and I can show you how he used to think when he would stand in the pulpit. Then I could take his second church and I can show you a difference in how he would write and how he would think in that pulpit. And I can take you down the line. Every time John changed churches, he reinvented himself. He's done it since then. When he moved from San Diego to Atlanta, Atlanta to Florida, he's reinventing. In fact, right now, he is in what I think, because of his age, will be his last reinvention. Now, that taught me something. Most people think, well, if you're going to lead, you got to learn. Here's what I've found. If you're going to lead, you have to reinvent. You have to say, this was me at this time in my life, but this is who I have to be at this time in my life to accomplish what God wants me to do. And so this is different, but I've watched him reinvent. Now, John, I don't think sees the reinvention because when you're going through them, it's just your life, but it's remarkable. And so every leader I'm close to, I've learned what they do. What is their secret? How do they speak? What is their cadence? How do they cover the platform? What are their go-to phrases? What are their non-go-to phrases? I've learned the why, not just the what, about every leader I'm close to. Seven. Everyone admires their success, but most people overlook the cause. See, when you look at someone like John Maxwell, everyone sees the success. But they don't really see what caused that. They see him on a stage. As I like to tell people, it's the things that they say between their points that are more important than their points. So here's what I can tell you about John Maxwell. He's an immense man of prayer. Let me describe it to you. If you've known John, here's what you know. Years ago, he made a commitment. 
if he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's been asleep, but he, during the middle of the night, wakes up and he can't go back to sleep in 20 minutes, he gets out of bed and he goes and he prays because he believes that is a window for God. That if he can't fall back to sleep in 20 minutes, so he prays. You go back to his early days of his prayer partners. John is one of the most prolific and profound prayers you will ever run into. But a part of it is his devotion. He likes being alone with God. In fact, several years ago, I was at a roundtable with him in Atlanta, and it was an interactive roundtable, and he made this statement. He said, I've always enjoyed people, and John's a people person, but the older I get, the more I like being alone, because when I'm alone is when I'm alone with God. And he went around the room, and he said, describe that to me. And when he came to me, and I'm sitting right next to him, why? Because I stay close. Here's what I said. I said, most people who experience loneliness misinterpret it. They feel like they're all alone when it's God calling them to be alone with him. I believe that probably 50% of the loneliness people feel is because God's saying, will you be alone with me right now? Now, what I can tell you about John's devotion is every year he's going to take a passage of scripture and he's going to work it. But here's what I've learned. His devotion with God has created the favor of God. He has favor with God and favor with men because of his prayer time, because of his devotional time. And most people want the favor he has without the prayer and the devotion he puts in. So can I tell you something? John's just one of about five great leaders that I have access to. But all of them have the same quality. They're men and people of prayer, and they have extreme moments of devotion. And number eight, we sort of covered this. Don't drive them towards your vision. You help them with their vision. Early on in our relationship, John made a statement. He didn't make a statement to me. He made it to a whole room of, of pastors. He says, I believe that in everyone's ministry, there are at least three people God wants you to help. The, God wants you to help them fulfill their vision because you're going to ask others to help you fulfill yours. And I thought about what John did with Zig and what John did with Bill Bright, and I could see that he had helped men with their vision. And because of that, people are now helping him with his vision. But my question to those of you who do what I do is who are you helping with their vision? Who are you helping to fulfill? Now, it's easy for me because I have a relationship with John. I don't try to take advantage of it, but I understand it. But I believe in everyone's life, God wants us to be unselfish, where we create 
a supportive opportunity to support people in their vision for God. Who are the three people you're helping with your time, your talent, and your treasure? You're not asking them to help you. You're just pouring yourself into them. Hey, all that being said, uh, it's just really an extended answer to what I get asked by young people all the time. How do you become close to a leader? Maybe that helps you. Not sure. It's a little bit different kind of message, but I think it will uh, be something if you give much reflection to, I think it could open up some opportunities for you. That being said, um, at the first of the year, we start our new series of roundtables. I have one in Plano, Texas, and the information I'm just so excited about. I just think it's remarkable. At NTLC, I did uh, a message called Takeaways from a Crash Site. It was the after look at 10 major ministers who all stepped out of ministry last year. Now, they were all the up-and-coming, the biggest, the brightest. In fact, if you want to get that, you can go to my webpage. But I went through the 10 things. Not all of them did all 10 of them, but all 10 of these things happened. But it just explains, before we ever saw the crash, this is what led. Well, there's been so much traction to that that I'm now doing a lesson. And this lesson is just about what are the things that basically prevent the crash, where the other one was sort of an observation. This lesson is preparation. And so it's my opening lesson. I think you'll enjoy that. And so we have some roundtables in Plano, Seattle, Washington. We have some in uh, Florida, New Mexico, Rancho Cucamonga coming up. And so all of those are available. My new book is out there, What If Paul Was Your Life Coach. I think you will enjoy that. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you for letting so many people know about the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.